Blog Talk Radio. Humanity and particularly women. 
And today, uh, it is my guilty pleasure as hostess of the show to be chatting with Mara Branscombe. I discovered her wisdom at the Feminism and Religion blog, or FAR, F-A-R, as we old-timers to the wonderful essays and writers there call it. Uh, Mara is with me discussing a healing modality you might not have known about, ritual. Ritual is remedy to heal our soul or life wounds. And it comes at a very serendipitous time because I intended the most incredible sound bath ritual uh, on Sunday. And if I had any doubts that ritual can be a healing experience, I didn't actually, but if I did, um, you know, uh, they would be, I would be convinced of what Mara is going to talk to us about today. Uh, so let's, uh, let's get to it, and I will introduce you to my guest, uh, guest by way of her bio, and then we'll jump right in and chat about ritual as a remedy. So Mara wears many hats, like so many of uh, us women these days. Uh, She is a mother, writer, yogi, artist, teacher, mindfulness leader, a ceremonialist, and a spiritual coach. Uh, She is passionate about weaving the art of mindfulness, self-care, creativity, mind-body practices, and earth-based rituals into her life and work. And she's been leading community ceremonies since 2000. She runs international retreats, corporate leadership programs, and online coaching and personal development courses. She's taught yoga, meditation, and mindfulness for over 20 years. She's the author of the book, Ritual as Remedy, Embodied Practices for Soul Care, and also Sage, Huntress, Lover, Queen, Access Your Power and Creativity Through Sacred Female Archetypes. So Mara, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, Kate, for having me. So um, I guess, you know, let's start at the beginning, maybe for some listeners who um, aren't already immersed uh, in ritual in their life. Um, What is ritual? How do you identify it? How would they recognize it? A ritual is anything that is done with intention. And so we can take our daily practices and make them more intentional to actually simplify and reclaim a sense of present moment awareness and consciousness. For example, if you like to drink tea or coffee in the morning, you could make that a sacred ritual by not going to your phone first, by lighting a candle first, and by sitting quietly with your tea or coffee to welcome in this blessed life, a new day. Hmm. I was reading something yesterday that said uh, the first 15 minutes of our day and the last 15 minutes of our day before we go to bed are uh, the most important times. Uh, you made me think about that. Does, uh, does that ring true for you? Absolutely. I love to personally bookend my day with ritual, just as, as you were mentioning. So morning time is very sacred to me. I wake early enough so that I can have my personal time before I enter into be it writing or um, the events of the day, my work. And then in the evening, um, I ensure that I'm off any kind of device at least one hour 
before I'm sensitive, <laughs> 30 minutes to one hour before I go to sleep. And I, I really um, take it take it into a state of, you know, when we, when we go to bed and we can, it, our work is done for the day, I consciously give myself permission to rest. May I open to the dream time and receive insights and healing at this time. Naturally, we Are open you, energy. Mm-hmm. Well, and and, uh, it's, and and I think maybe to stress the point, uh, this doesn't, you know, this uh, this ritual that we start the day with, or maybe I I think you're saying even in a way maybe end the day with, uh, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It can be something pretty simple as long as it's intentional. Is is that what you mean? That's exactly what I mean, and I think this is a really great point to bring forward right at the beginning here, Kate, is that, you know, we can create these healthy habits, and we could use the word ritual instead if that feels more meaningful um, to you, and we can do them on our own, and then we can do things like go to the sound bath healing experience that you did, so there's live, you know, community ritual we can do, then there's personal ritual we can do, and I think that all of these, you know, there's a vast range. And what it does is it allows ourselves to feel um, a sense of um, connection to self and others, perhaps bringing more meaning into our lives, which brings joy, peace, and love. Mm. Well, we certainly need more of that, right? Um, well, you know, I, I mentioned the sound bath, and I know at the beginning of the year, uh, the ch- you know, the sort of church that I go to, uh, we did a labyrinth walk and a bowl burning. Um, all those, I'm sure, would classify as uh, rituals, yes? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, if, if you wanted some other examples, I'd be happy to share some with your audience. Sure, please do. What I love to teach and what I practice myself and have been doing for 25 years or more is to observe the new moon and the full moon and to create a personal ritual or perhaps you do it with others, both at new moon and full moon. And that is every 29 and a half days, we begin a new cycle with the new moon. Then 12 to 14 days later, we receive the full moon. Now, we know the moon pulls and is, is powerful to affect the ocean tides. <laughs> and we are almost all water as human beings. So naturally, we are also very deeply affected by the moon cycle. When we start to, at new moon, for example, it's new beginnings, it's a time to draw inward and get into that real deep feminine energy within the, the visionary within of um, what cycle are you beginning? What seeds are you planting? You can ask yourself these kind of questions and um, be in a space to receive in that way. Light a candle, have a new moon bath, really nourish yourself. Whereas at full moon, um, it may be more like that fire ceremony. Um, you may have your friends over and do a, a sharing circle. Um, it's more of an expansive um, kind of energetic energy. So that, that's where I, I love to, you know, if people don't follow the moon already, I think it's a great place to begin. 
Right, right. Um, and, and, and like you've described, I mean, it really can be, um, you know, it really can be so simple. Um, I know some women would, would put water out uh, under the full moon and uh, feel like that water was blessed or sacred and then maybe uh, use that on their plants or even drink it themselves, use it in their tea, uh, you know, use it in their coffee. Um, I mean, there's really no limit to these, um, these new little rituals uh, we can create for ourselves. Absolutely. I agree. So now you wrote the book about this, uh, Ritual is Remedy. Um, let's get into a little bit. Um, well, first, tell me what inspired you to write the book, and then I'll ask my follow-up question. I taught an online course about five years before COVID hit, four or five years. And this online course was called The Art of Ritual. And after that five years, and so I created this course because I had young children and I wanted to be at home with them and still maintain my connection to my work and grow my body of work. So I created this online course that's based on the Celtic Wheel of the Year. So that's the seasonal wheel of the year and the elements connected to that, um, earth, air, fire, water, and then ether in the center, um, spring, summer, fall, winter, um, and spiritual connection. So I found that after teaching these courses, um, I would see these miraculous, wondrous effects on, on these, these women, and there were some men also. And so it really inspired me to go deeper into the work, and, and they were transforming their lives before my eyes. They were um, suddenly not, you know, being... Um, in a place of low self-esteem, they were, they were no longer, you know, beating themselves up with the past narrative. They were healing from old wounds. They were um, reclaiming the life they, they truly wanted to live. And so that was really the inspiration um, to then write the book. Well, that, um, that had to be pretty profound. And, uh, you know, one of my, you know, one of my pet peeves, uh, you know, moving forward is, um, you know, that we not normalize abuse and, uh, and exploitation in the world and that we um, see it and reject it and heal ourselves from it. Um, so, so let me ask you, I mean, you know, we talked about some simple rituals in the beginning, you know, acknowledging the moon and, um, you know, the sound bath, uh, which was a healing um, event and the labyrinth walk which was setting intentions for the coming year almost like you know some would say resolutions how can mm -hmm. we uh, take the ritual and use it as a remedy for healing like some of the things you described you saw were, were happening with the students in your class mm -hmm. well that's a great question and I believe we are here as human beings to evolve our consciousness. And for that to happen, we need to become integrated with what the activity in the mind is, what the body, how the body is feeling, how we're taking care of the body, what's happening with our emotions, and, and what's our spiritual practice. So how we can take these rituals is we can start to become much more what I call centric. So that's embodying consciousness at the center of the body, 
for women, we can also think about it as a, the power of our wounds. And, and to integrate in a way where we become so connected that we no longer play out the narrative of the past. We no longer feed the victim or the martyr within. We, we, we see where the colonial patriarchal energies are and we choose to not buy into it anymore. So these small rituals, what they do, and they're big ones too, but when they're done steadily, when they're done, when there's a spiritual practice daily, some kind of reflection practice, could be in nature, could be on your meditation cushion, on the yoga mat, we, we give ourselves a greater chance, in fact, to, um, to heal and to evolve our consciousness. Hmm. And, I mean, you'd, I'm sure you'd probably say this is kind of uh, essential for our modern times. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? I believe it's absolutely essential. I, I coach people and I do private healing sessions and I lead these retreats. And what is so incredible is, you know, when we go on these retreats and we're on day seven and it's time to go home and people are completely transformed. And yet, you know, then they go home and they have the tools. And so I really believe that we have so many tools at our fingertips and we also have so many distractions at our fingertips. So, you know, it's the old indigenous legend, like which wolf do you feed? Do you feed the distracted wolf or do you feed the wolf that has the resources? And, and I, I think if we can start to direct our attention there gently, daily, steadily, that's the energy of the feminine. That's the ritualistic life that we all have access to when we awaken to it. Mm. Well, your background is yoga, meditation, um, you know, ceremonialist. Um, I would imagine uh, these practices can help support this, uh, this transformation, maybe um, adopting, uh, incorporating ritual into our life. Maybe talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well... Did you mean how it, how you can bring it all together? Well, how does, um, you know, with your background, yoga, meditation, you know, how can these support the healing and the transformation? Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to that steady practice. So what happens if we're steady about whatever your physical practice is, it doesn't have to be yoga, whatever your mindfulness practice is, it could be, you know, again, hiking in the woods in silence, or it could be you're a meditator, or you could be doing some form of art and you're really in the zone. What those do is they bring us back to our center and they remind us of who we are. And once we have that steady anchor, it builds, there's momentum, it grows and it builds. And what happens is you don't have to wait <laughs> until there's like major tragedy or drama or trauma in your life to start healing. You're, in, you're an ongoing healing journey. You're on an ongoing healing journey. And that's really how I see my life. Like it's such a blessed, you know, life. And we have the opportunity to, to wake early if we have the motivation to do so and to sit in that quiet seat. Um, 
and it's it's not always easy. This is a tough path, you know, it's, and it takes discipline. And that's where I feel the study, the, the yoga and the meditation and the, all my years of doing spiritual, you know, practices, it's, it, it becomes centric. So, so would you say if, um, say, for instance, you start along this path of, of uh, you know, maybe doing these rituals daily, maybe in the morning, in the evening, one or the other, whatever you can fit in without adding more stress mm-hmm. to your life, um, mm-hmm. do you think you sort of build up um, I guess I'm going to call it build up a resistance to the chaos and maybe the tragedy so that if something does befall you, uh, maybe you're in a better place to handle it even? 100%. I agree. Okay, uh, because it's almost as if, you know, you've, uh, I don't know, like if, you know, you're taking your vitamins, uh, you know, so you're, um, you know, you're strengthening your immune system or you get the COVID vaccine and you protect yourself against the virus if you're in, uh, among people who maybe are infected, something like that. It, it's almost um, um, it, an inoculation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I will add, it's an initiation. So again, you know, what is, is so, um, I think, the most valuable and essential at this time is to have some sort of practice that connects you home to yourself, to remind you of what are your values, what are your virtues. Um, honesty and kindness and compassion, they all lead to truth. If we're constantly distracted in our chaotic, unpredictable, imperfect world, that will become more of what we live, I believe. Well, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. I mean, and we, uh, it's almost as if, you know, you're saying, too, we have to um, recognize that and know that we have the power and the ability to take control of our life rather than being a feather in the wind and, um, you know, uh, adversely affected by every current that, that sort of pushes us along. That is very well said. hmm Okay. Well, listen, I want to take a break here, uh, but when we come back, Mara, uh, I want to talk more about um, some rituals we can use to enhance sleep or maybe release stress or return to one's true nature and, um, you know, and and maybe even weaving together uh, different practices that I know you write about in your book. Um, So uh, be thinking about that. for when we come back. But uh, what I'd like to do now, listeners, is uh, share a word from Joe Carson. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, 
This book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Farifaria's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Farifaria. Celebrate Wildness is a dense art book quality hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Farifaria website at farifaria.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. I'd also like to share with listeners um, the Divine Feminine app. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, It's been around for a while. Uh, Women have been finding the Divine Feminine app each and every day since 2016, and it's a resource for finding local sacred circles, events, and resources. The Divine Feminine app has a new feature where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday. So uh, if this sounds like something Something you might want to check out or add your event to, uh, go to the divinefeminineapp.com and register. It's quick and easy. There's no cost. Um, and, you know, check out the circles in your area and uh, get put on the uh, email list. And it's not just local events, uh, but there are other soul-filled, sacred, feminine, virtual, and online events. Uh, they're also listed uh, on the Divine Feminine app as well. And you can find out about retreats, uh, podcasts like ours, uh, and a whole lot more. So that's uh, divinefeminineapp.com. So... Um, If you tuned in late, um, I am here with Mara Branscombe, and we are talking about uh, her book, Ritual is Remedy, Embodied Practices for Soul Care. And um, we were just about to uh, talk about how how Mara recommends um, we can maybe use ritual to enhance sleep or release stress or even return to one's true nature. So, Mara, um, I turn it over to you. Okay. So, for sleep, let's begin there. Um, A really um, powerful um, plant and essential oil to work with is lavender. I always have lavender beside my bed. And I, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I make sure I'm off devices. Even if I have deadlines, I have to say no, turn the computer off. And um, sometimes I have a bath or a hot shower, something to just, and as I'm doing that, I, you know, I ask for any stress to be released from my body and my mind. And I may get on my yoga mat and do some light stretching, if that suits your, you know, your body. I rub lavender oil on the soles of my feet and on my temples. And I have a dream journal beside my bed. Um, And sometimes, you know, in that journal also, I, I kind of review my day if there's, some thoughts in my mind that are spiraling or stress that, you know, is, is present, I, I find if I write it down, I can let it go more easily. Um, and then 
when I wake, if I have dreams that I remember, I, I write them down right away. So that's for sleep, and I think those things can really, really help us. Um, did you want me to continue? Yeah. Uh, what about, uh, well, uh, would that be also the releasing stress, or um, if you're just focused on well, release stress, is there more you can do? Yeah, so I have I have something for during the day to release stress that I think is really important. And I know we don't all have access to nature, and some of us live in big cities, but there's also usually parks close by or there's um, – I think that nature is such a, 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 an important healer, Mother Earth, Gaia. Um, she has the ability, if we awaken to, uh, to this practice, is to walk in nature, to be at the park, but to turn your device off. So this is really important. To listen for the birds, to witness the sky changing, to, you know, if you're feeling a little low and down and depleted, which many, many are at this time, look at the abundance the earth provides. Look at her beauty. Be one with her cycles and her seasons. And release lack mentality and welcome in the abundance of the earth. Welcome in beauty every step. That naturally releases stress. Okay. Life will always be busy. Yeah, life. Okay, go ahead. Um, so yeah, you were saying life uh, is always going to be busy. Uh, go ahead, finish finish your well, thought. Yeah. So this is the thing that I'd love listeners to you know to just chew on a little bit is that you you know it's it, life will you know there'll always be busyness. There'll always be chaos, especially if we like that in our lives. We'll continue to create that. So it's. You know, it's not that that needs to change all the time, but it's how we approach what we do. So instead of being overwhelmed and, um, you know, those cycles of, in the mind that are, how am I going to do this? And, you know, it, that kind of energy in the mind creates more stress. And we know that, and yet it is hard to practice on a daily basis. So I think that if we insert our nature time, if we insert our soul care, you know, um, working with plants to, you know, ha- allow growing plants, growing a garden, tending to natural items, being in creative artistic practices, these are all things we can do and ma- we can make them more sacred by entering with that mindset. Okay. So it's the the mindset is the key. And um, so if we think we've lost ourselves, you know, uh, and we want to get back to our authentic self, our true nature, um, what's uh, what's a way you think you can, uh, you know, go back in and retrieve retrieve ourselves? Daily practice of some kind that inspires you. I'll repeat that, a daily practice of some kind that inspires you. We are all unique. We are all different. Some of us have access to nature, so we can daily nature practice, nature gazing. Some of us um, have artistic hobbies. Instead of thinking of just as a hobby, it's like, no, that's the sacred act of knitting, of sewing, of weaving, of jewelry making, of working with our hands. That allows our heart to to, to open. Um, so, you know, these these things that we 
and I would come back to this same question I ask myself all the time. What inspires me right now? What am I inspired by? Then to go ahead and either study that, practice that, welcome that energy into your life, lean into it. And then, of course, it takes a self-discipline um, to do that, to make that happen for yourself. So I really feel well, that's I part think... of reclaiming. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think I gathered that maybe writing is um, one of the methods uh, that, that you use for yourself. Um, it, it, if I'm right about that, do you, do you want to talk about how you can, you know, how these uh, techniques maybe inspire your writing or the way you're, um, you know, is that one of the ways uh, you, uh, you know, your work expresses itself? It is now. It hasn't always been. I was a dancer, um, so uh, it, my artistry involves in my background painting and dancing. And then after I had children, I started writing. I started writing. I, write, I would wake early and I would write prayers and poems and blessings and poetry. And yes, I feel that the all these years of the the practices now kind of evolved into the written word and it wanted to be expressed out. I had no idea I was going to be a writer. And I followed that path because, you know what, it inspired me and it really felt good, like it felt right. So that was my intuition nudging me to put this work out into the world. Hmm. Well, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking it's almost as if these, you know, whether we want to, like you said, whether we want to call them rituals or habits or new practices, um, you know, it feels like they almost um, transform us, they reshape us, um, you know, almost, you know, change our spiritual, psychological DNA, uh, if you will, and uh, we can sort of come out the other side, um, change for the better, you know? Yes. So, um, all right, so in the book, uh, you know, there are many techniques on how to work through excess emotions, you know, fear, shame, guilt, grief, Um, you know, those are, you know, a lot of the ones that, uh, uh, you know, they're hard to talk about, we stuff them inside, maybe we don't even, um, you know, want to look at them ourselves, Um, how do we work to rid ourselves of those sorts of emotions? Um, in particular, is is there something different besides what you've described um, to maybe get rid of those things? Mm-hmm. Great question. And you know, I think if in the book, you know, I really lay out each energy center, the seven energy centers, the seven chakras. Whether you know about those or not, it doesn't matter, but they are all associated with an emotion. Um, And so when we get into, for example, our first energy center is our root chakra, and it's, you know, when it's in its shadow. So I talk a lot about shadow in the book because it's so important to be really honest and kind of liberated about our shadows and to name them. And once we start to name them, we become wildly aware of how they rule our life. So, for example, in our first energy center, when it's in its functioning state, 
we're grounded, we're anchored, we feel supported in the world. When it's in its shadow, we're ruled by fear. We're ungrounded. We might feel like we're spinning out. And, and so, you know, I give these real um, easy, accessible examples so that one can actually track, oh, how am I in that part of my body? How, how do I relate to fear? And so I give people exercises like name your top three fears. And, and then let's talk about what is true. Because a lot of times when we're living in fear, we create it, we make it bigger than it is, and it's actually not even true. So it's like that. And then I put it into a practice. Well, if it's in that part of your body, your lower half of your body, let's work on, you know, when we walk, feel really grounded in nature, maybe walk barefoot in nature. That's a beautiful ritual to do. So that's how I work with in each chapter I really unpack, you know, each emotion, in fact. And I go quite into detail on how one can heal themselves through this knowledge. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm thinking, again, as I'm listening to you, and, uh, you know, you think about the things you teach your kids they should do on a daily basis. You know, they get up, they brush their teeth, they, br- you, know, uh, you know, they comb their hair, they eat their breakfast. Uh, they put on clean clothes, you know. Imagine if uh, as part of our daily routine, children were taught to do these sorts of things too. You know, these, um, it, I don't know, I just think it, it would make for uh, stronger people, children, all of us, you know, stronger psychologically to handle what the world throws at us. And I don't know, I wonder, you mentioned you have children. Do you... Um, do you work with your kids in any way to teach them, you know, child-appropriate sort of uh, things like we're talking about today uh, for some of the listeners out there that might have kids? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. And my, my girls are 8 and uh, 12. I just, my eldest daughter just turned 12 last week. And it's been an amazing journey. I really feel like I've never separated my work from my parenting so um, they've always been with me um, doing ceremonies, doing rituals. They, you know, because my thing is nature-based rituals. So to be in nature and doing that ritual is wonderful for a child. They love it. And I've never forced anything upon them. And so I think that's really important. And we have certain anchors in our day. We do um, a gratitude practice every evening as we eat. You know, each person goes around and shares three things that they're grateful for which brings up all sorts of great conversation. It also brings up, you know, what happened that was hard for them. And we talk about that, too. Um, And, you know, I I work a lot with kindness. And, um, of course, my daughters are, you know, they've always been into crystals and in the moon and um, yoga. They've been practicing yoga with me since they were in the womb. Um, So I think that there's just this, um, this openness that brings, um, when, when, when children can talk about their emotions and be really validated um, and be held and embraced but not, like, overly protected, I think there, there's just that beautiful balance. We light a candle at dinner every single night. It doesn't matter if it's, like, five minutes um, before we have to, like, one person goes off to a ne- the next lesson. But I, I, I just think there's these anchors. I do also lavender on the soles of their feet and their temples. They do it now for themselves. So I think, yeah, what we, you know, what we model becomes what is. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's hopeful and inspiring that the next generation can be um, like what you're describing, you know. And uh, you know, maybe that is, you know, these sorts of things, uh, and and you know, and and other types of uh, modalities we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks and months. You know, maybe these are all the sorts of things that shift us uh, into what uh, everyone says is that you know, really that coming age of Aquarius where we get away mm-hmm. from this uh, dominator, um, abusive, exploitative, predator uh, sort of world we have right now and, uh, you know, usher in a new world of self-care where people are important, not money. And, uh, um, you know, we can become new humans, you know, different, uh, you know, different type of human manifest a new normal for for us. Um so Mara, um, your uh, your website, um, you have two, I think, ritualisremedy.com, also your name, Mara Branscom, and I'll spell it because uh, just, you know, for accuracy, it's M-A-R-A-B-R-A-N-S-C-O-M-B-E.com. Um, Mara, I want to give you the last word. Uh, we've. Uh, is there anything I haven't thought to ask you that uh, you think might be important uh, you want to leave listeners with? I think that having leaning into inspiring practices, inspiring habits, how can you make them more sacred in your day? And I'd like to leave listeners with that. What Knowing that that will wildly improve the quality of your life What would you like to begin with starting today? What brings you to a place of soul care? What makes you feel good and nourished from within? That's lovely. I like that. Um, So, you know, we put that out there to listeners, you know, to maybe start thinking about that and incorporate that into their day and see how it See how it makes a difference. You know, maybe it helps them be armed uh, next time they have to, you know, reject some uh, negativity that comes their way. Mm-hmm. Well, Mara, yes, thank you. I, thank you so much. No, go ahead. Well, thank you so much for having me. And, and you know, I think that this is just so important to the work that you're doing. So thank you for bringing it to the world and for, you know, this work, it reminds people how to be compassionate, kind human beings and also how to practice the art of forgiveness. Yeah, and uh, take care of themselves. I mean, I think it starts with us, right? If we, you know, if we realize it's important to take care of ourselves, then uh, maybe then that, um, you know, uh, bleeds out into the people we come in contact with. Um, and, uh, you know, because if we're not feeling good about ourselves, you know, if we're feel feeling shame or pain or anxiety or something like that, uh, it's really hard to be a good human, you know, on the planet. So um, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's kind of like that analogy on the plane. You know, you have to put the um, life, you, know, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first and, uh, you know, and then your loved ones, you know, if we can heal ourselves, then we're in a better place to be a, contribute positive healing things to the people we come in contact with. Yes, well said. 
Okay. Uh, well, Mara, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, uh, you know, for your books. And I want to give those titles again. Uh, Ritual is Remedy, Embodied Practices for Soul Care. And Sage, Huntress, Lover, Queen, Access Your Power and Creativity Through Sacred Feminine Archetypes. Maybe we'll have to have you come back and talk about that second one, Mara. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, it comes out July 2023. So it's it's up for pre-sales, but it actually gets on the shelf July 2023, and I'd love to come back. Okay. All right. Will you remind me if I don't get to you first, okay? Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Mara. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kate. Well, thank you, listeners, um, for uh, to uh, you know to tune in here to our conversation. But I have some more for you. Um, I want to just uh, first of all, I don't know the sort of the tone we left our conversation with. Um, I wanted to, it, I don't know, it felt like I want to share this with you, uh, kind of a sacred reading. Um, I actually used this in a recent uh, Guadalupe, uh, Miracles of Guadalupe presentation I did uh, for the local uh, Unitarian church that uh, uh, Roy and I go to sometimes. And um, it's actually a writing from Carol Christ, our beloved foremother and and way shower. I uh, altered it just a little bit. Um, You'll probably recognize it uh, as a as a Pandora piece that um, that Carol wrote because uh, um, she believed, as do I, that we really do have to rewrite the sacred stories out there. And uh, she rewrote this one about Pandora. Now, because I was doing a Guadalupe presentation, um, I didn't uh, use the you know, I didn't use the title Pandora. I just changed the name of the goddess in the writing, if you will, uh, to make it appropriate because I felt it was so beautiful and I wanted the people in the congregation to hear this um, because, I don't know, I just I just felt like maybe they hadn't heard something like this before. And I want to share it with you. Um, so the writing goes like this. Uh, and remember, we're sep- you know we're uh, substituting uh, Pandora's name out for a different name of a goddess. Earth Mother had given the mortals life. This puzzled them greatly. They would stare curiously at one another, then turn away to forage for food. Slowly, they found that hunger has many forms. One morning, the humans followed an unusually plump bear cub to a hillside covered with bushes that hung heavy with red berries. They began to feast at once, hardly aware of the tremors beginning beneath their feet. As the quaking increased, a chasm gaped at the crest of the hill. From it arose she of 10,000 names and her earthen pithos or jar. The mortals were paralyzed with fear, but the goddess drew them into her aura. I am the giver of all gifts, she said, as she lifted the lid from the jar. From it, the great she took a pomegranate, which became an apple, which became a lemon, which became a pear. I bring you flowering trees that bear fruit, gnarled trees hung with olives, and this the grapevine that will sustain you. She reached into the jar for a a handful of seeds and sprinkled them over the hillside. 
I bring you plants for hunger and illness, for weaving and dying. Hidden beneath my surface, you will find minerals, ore, and clay of endless form. She took from the jar two flat stones. Attend with care, my plainest gift. I bring you flint. She of 10,000 names turned the jar on its side, inundating the hillside with her flowing grace. The mortals were bathed in the changing color of her aura. I bring you wonder, curiosity, memory. I bring you wisdom. I bring you justice with mercy. I bring you caring and communal bonds. I bring you courage, strength, and endurance. I bring you loving kindness for all beings. I bring you the seeds of peace. Hmm. And here's a quote from Joseph Campbell I'd like to share. There can be no doubt that in the very earliest stages of human history, the magical force and wonder of the female was no less a marvel than in the universe itself. And this gave to woman a prodigious power, which it has been one of the chief concerns of the masculine part of the population to break, control, and employ to its own ends. It is, in fact, most remarkable how many primitive hunting races have the legend of a still more primitive age than their own in which the women were the sole possessors of the magical art. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. And that was Carol Christ, uh, the, the writing, and then the quote uh, from Joseph Campbell. So... Um, uh, hang in there with me a little bit longer. I have uh, some additional things to share. Uh, first of all, just some headlines. Uh, and this is from Jezebel. The uh, Alabama Attorney General says he'll prosecute people using abortion pills. Uh, you can Google that at Jezebel if you want to read the entire article. Also from Yahoo News, uh, the Montana Republicans want to uh, revisit reservations. In other words, uh, they believe they should take the reservations away from the Native Americans. And you can look for that headline and read it yourself. Montana GOP wants to revisit reservations. Uh, but from the Good News Network, uh, there were 146 new species of animals and plants added in 2022. That's uh, inspiring. And uh, Heretz.com, uh, that's a, a great online site that has historical, mythological, archaeological um, stories. Uh, and the headline from them that I'd like to mention today, uh, scholars are saying that the real Ark of the Covenant may have housed pagan gods. So this idea that, uh, if you go there, you'll, you'll read, that they say this idea of the Ten Commandments and Yahweh being in the Ark of the Covenant might have actually been a later story related to the Ark. I found that really interesting, that uh, the goddess and her consort were actually in uh, the Ark of the Covenant, these scholars believe. So... Um, Interesting. We, we just keep learning, don't we? Uh, and because I'm a social justice advocate, um, you'll be hearing uh, many informational articles in the coming weeks and months uh, telling you about 
things going on out there in the world that I think you need to hear about. Um, some of them you might be outraged about, but we can't bury our collective heads in the sand. Uh, this uh, article I'm going to share with you, uh, just sort of the, uh, the most important points, are, is from uh, CNN Style News. And the headline is, uh, Vandals Destroyed a 22 thousand year old sacred cave art in Australia, obviously horrifying the indigenous community. Uh, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. It says, uh, earlier this year it was discovered that the cave had been unlawfully accessed and a section of the delicate finger flutings had been vandalized with damage scratched across them into the side of the cave. The flutings are grooves drawn by the fingers of Ice Age humans across the soft limestone cave walls. The vandalism in Kunalda Cave is shocking and heartbreaking. Kunalda Cave is, a, is of significant importance to the Mirning people, and its tens of thousands of years of history show some of the earliest evidence of Aboriginal occupation in that part of the country. The vandals were not deterred by fences at the caves, so the South Australian state government is now considering installing security cameras and has been consulting traditional owners uh, on how to better protect the site. The incident uh, has frustrated uh, the Aboriginal Mirning people who say their previous repeated requests for higher security went uh, unheeded. Uh, as a sacred site, uh, it's closed to the public and only supposed to be accessible to a few male elders in the community. And apart from the cave's spiritual significance, the restrictions are also to protect the delicate art, some of which is etched into the cave floor as well. Despite legal protections, the group said it uh, has still received requests to allow public access to Canalda. So if you're wondering about the cave's significance uh, besides the art and the and the sacredness and the history to the Aboriginal people. Uh, from a scientific perspective, um, uh, the cave's significance uh, changes what scientists believed. Uh, it goes on to say, for decades, Australian scientists believed the country's indigenous people had only existed on the land for about 8,000 years. Kunalda Cave was the first place in Australia with indigenous rock art that could be dated back 22,000 years, upending the scientific community's understanding of Australian history. The discovery caused a sensation and forever changed uh, accepted notions about where, when, and how Aboriginal people lived on the Australian continent. Um, Greg Hunt, then Environment Minister in 2014, uh, when Canalda was designated um, a National Heritage List site um, tells us that. So I uh, hope they get that worked out. That is pretty sad. So um, before I close today, uh, let me share with you uh, this month's uh, remaining guests, and then I will lead you, leave you with uh, today's food for thought. 
Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have an uncommon deviation from our date and time because we have the incredible foremother and way shower, my mentor, uh, whose work put me on this path 30 years ago. Rianne Eisler is here with me on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Yes, uh, that Rianne Eisler of Chalice and the Blade fame, who also wrote The Partnership Way and Sacred Pleasure and Our Real Wealth. Uh, she's with me discussing her newest book, Nurturing Our Humanity. Uh, which is our show topic. Rianne will be with me at 1 o'clock Thursday, January 19th. Um, you don't want to miss our interview, but remember, if you can't catch us when we're streaming live, you can always go to the archives later at your convenience. Then the last Wednesday of the month, uh, again, 11 Pacific, we'll be back to our regular time. Uh, January 25th, the incredible artist Judith Shaw is with me, and we're discussing storytelling and divination as remedies for healing. Quite an interesting alternative healing modality, I think, uh, you'll want to hear about. Uh, well, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope you'll tell your friends and share word that Karen Tate is back. Uh, tell them you heard about her descent, but she is on the rise. <laughs> uh, and I like to think my work is where spirituality, personal transformation, and social justice meet. Um, I hope you'll go to my Facebook page. I am consolidating all my pages very shortly, and the only page I'll have on Facebook uh, in the coming weeks will be the Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio page. Uh, that's where you'll hear about everything I'm up to. So please uh, go like the page, follow me there. Uh, there will be much more information there besides radio show information. And uh, also check out my new website, uh, Tools for Transformation with Karen Tate at karentate.net. So um, the food for thought I'd like to leave you with today is an excerpt from my new book, uh, which is out this month. Uh, it's called Normalizing Abuse, a Commentary on the Culture of Pervasive Abuse. Uh, contributors uh, were asked for snippets and anecdotes about abuse and exploitation they had suffered. Uh, two made some very astute observations about workplace abuse and the title of boss. Uh, of course, you know, we need a supervisor in the workplace, so there's organization and not chaos. chaos. Um, somebody has to facilitate the work getting done. Uh, boss can obviously have benign connotations, but I wonder when do you hear uh, these definitions for boss that I'm about to share with you, if you can ever unhear or unsee them. Um, will uh, you know will responding to one supervisor as boss in the workplace ever be the same can we utter the word boss now uh, that we see the sinister or potentially insidious connotation will the word boss catch in our throat should it hmm. okay so here's here's what I'm talking about um, as we begin rethinking and redefining abuse and exploitation for what it is here might be a simple place to start boss as a verb, as in to boss, meaning to impose one's will on, to domineer or dominate, to order about. Mafia boss comes to mind, as does a former president or slave driver. To show someone who's boss, exclamation point. To bully or push around. Boss as a noun also refers to the sharp spike or bump 
on a device or shield that's used as a weapon. The boss inflicts injury when it skims, scrapes, or punctures the enemy. It turns out the word boss comes from the Dutch word base, which meant master. Um, in the words of one of my contributors, quote, to call someone boss while claiming you're living freely is an interesting example of the sometimes subtle workplace abuse, unquote. Or might I suggest how we tend to normalize abuse to survive? Food for thought. All right, well, that about does it for me today. Um, uh, on to uh, Lady of Strength, Healing, and Tenacity, Sekhmet, the lion-headed Egyptian sun goddess. Help us find our sacred roar and the lioness within. Here she is. <laughs> 